theyeshiva.net. When I come here, I'm reminded of an old anecdote. They say that Yaakov Avinu woke up from his dream and he says, This must be a home of Hashem. How did he know? So the answer is, Rashi brings that when Yaakov went to sleep, he took many rocks and he placed them around his head. When he wakes up, so Rashi says that the rocks got into a fight. Yes, very interesting parable. The rocks were quarreling with each other. Everyone wants the head of the tzaddik on him. So God has no choice. He takes all the rocks and he makes them one. Yaakov Avinu wakes up and he says, A place where even the rocks can get into a fight has to be a shul. If even the stones on the wall can't get along with each other, this has to be a synagogue, a temple, a shul. But I want to ask on a more serious note, they were fighting who gets the head. So what does Hashem do? He makes all the stones one. Why did they stop fighting? The head could still only be on one part of the stone. The head can't be on every part of the stone. They should still fight. A klotzkasha, yeah? A klotzkasha. Why did they stop fighting? The head is still only on one part of the rock. The head is not going to be on every part. The answer, of course, is, my dear friends, I'll say it in Yiddish and then I'll translate. Bishas mevert eins. When we become one, we don't care who gets the head. I know I don't get the head, but we're one. You getting the head is me getting the head. For me to win, you have to win. If I lose, you lose, and if you lose, I also lose. Different model, which I know you learned about this afternoon in these conferences. And the truth is, Naturally, in the world we live in, in the world you live in, even the rocks sometimes fight. Certainly, so many different companies representing life insurance, bringing them all together at this moment, at this occasion, for this day, is extremely and profoundly moving. It's the power of... It's the power, this is for yourself, not for me. I don't compete here with anybody. It's the power of when the rocks, even stones, have a vision, a oneness. In this case, the vision of CSB that brings them together and unites you is in itself a monumental achievement which ought to be celebrated. So they tell the story about every good story has a porridge, an overlord, as they call them in English, who had a dog. He didn't just have a dog. He loved his dog. His dog was his best friend. His dog was his life. His dog was his dream. His dog was his comfort. And one day, every good story also has a bishop 
the bishop tells the pirates that the Jews have access to Kabbalah. Asks the pirates, what's Kabbalah? The bishop says Kabbalah is a type of mechanism, a type of discipline through which you could teach dogs how to speak. Really? My dog can talk? Yeah. The Jews can teach your dog to speak. Wow. Madach, I love my dog so much when it barks. Imagine if my dog can only open its mouth and speak. My life will be transformed into a paradise. So this overlord, the pirate, summons Yerusha, I call the heads of the community, and he says, I heard that you have secret access of how to teach a dog how to speak. I want you to take my dog and teach it verbal communication. Be able to sell life insurance, he'll be able to, whatever he'll be able to do. So, the Jews say, sorry, we don't have this ability. He says, don't lie. I know this is a secret, but I know the secret. The Jews say, we promise you, we can't do this. We don't know how to make dogs speak. We're not gods. He says, you have three days to come with an answer. If by three days the answer is yes, great. And if not, every one of you will be expelled from this town. From this entire city and region. Men, women, children. Three days. They're fasting, they're saying till, and they're doing shuva, they're gathering, they're davening, they're screaming, they're crying. Three days are up, they don't know what to do. They really can't make a dog talk. At the end of three days, there's absolute yush and despair in the community. Nobody knows even how to approach the problem, the challenge. Vos titman, vos geitman, there's nothing, no achiza, no way of dealing with it. Chaim Yankel was a Bavusta captain, a well-known poor man in the community, a water carrier. He gets up and he says, Ich guide some puddles. I'm going, I'll take care of it. There's an expression in English, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. They got nothing and they got nothing to lose. It's like calling certain people. So, they let him go. Chaim Yankel comes to the pirates and he says, three days are up. I'm the one who knows the secret. Really? Wow, amazing. How, how long? It takes seven years. I need you to give me a dog for seven years straight. Day and night, I will be spending time with this dog, teaching it, disciplining it, meditating with it, doing some mindfulness. After seven years, I give you back a talking dog. He says, that's an incredible, amazing investment. It's hard for me. Take the dog. I'm looking forward to a speaking dog. Chaim comes back to the shul with the dog. They say, what happened? He tells them the story. They start screaming at him. This machine, you're crazy. Now the pirates would have expelled us. After seven years. When this dog can't talk, he won't expel us. He will murder every single last Jew. How dare you endanger this entire community? Minarva, Zuk, and Tav, and Nashim. How dare you, Chaim Yankel? Chaim Yankel says, first of all, everybody, relax. Relax. Let me tell you what I was thinking. In seven years, lots of things can happen. For starters, Within seven years, the pirates can happen on this machine. Within seven years, the pirates can pay it, and the pirates can die. Even if the pirates is alive for seven years, the hunt can pay it. 
The dog can drop dead within seven years. Even if the pirates and the dog remain alive for the next seven years, ich can the I can also drop dead within seven years. One of the three can happen. So what are you worried? In the meantime, we have seven years to enjoy. Let's enjoy life. We have a nice dog. Good seven years. Sheva Shnoisas. This is Yebura. Live life now. Seven years. Seven years of plenty. Let's party. Let's live it up. Nope. Seven years pass. Seven years pass. And guess what? The dog is alive. The Paritz is alive, and Chaim Yankel, Baruch Hashem, Larry Chesim and Roshanam Tavis is also alive. Oy, 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 the day comes, seven years are over, the Paritz sends a messenger. Give me that door, give me that great dog who will transform my life into an endless Ganaiden and endless paradise. Chaim Yankel goes to the Paritz himself. He comes in, the pirate says, no, 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 what's going on? He says, last night, seven years were up, twelve o'clock a.m., exactly as the clock struck midnight, God opened the mouth of your dog. Your dog started to talk. Wow, amazing. What did the dog say? Chamyankel said the dog started to say everything it saw in your bedroom. He says, you go shoot the dog right now. You kill that dog. You shoot it. I want it dead. I don't want to see it. He says, no problem, your majesty. I'm going right away. <laughs> Friends, this is how you win the game of life. Well, you just want me to speak about winning the game of life. This is how you do it. But I want to draw on two lessons from this humorous anecdotal story. And the lessons are not humorous, they're humorous too, but they're also quite sincere. And that is, we, many of us, in order to win the game of life, we have to challenge one tendency, one teva, one regulus that is embedded in many of us, especially if you grew up in certain places, in certain cultures, in certain communities. And I think the best way to describe it to this crowd is not by saying or using a word or a sentence, but actually a musical note. I'm going to sing to you a musical note. That's what I'm going to do now. And it's this musical note that captures the first lesson. Did he, uh, um, you know what I'm referring to? The Shalshalas. It's found four times in the whole Chumash. The first time is going to be the Shabbos. If you won't be outside of Shul, you'll be listening to Kriya Satayr and not trying to be selling life insurance of the Kiddush. You'll hear the Shalshalas, Vayera, next week Chayisara, Vayeshev, and finally Tzav. Four times in the whole Chumash, Shalshalas. 
What is this Shalshalas? What does it mean? What does it mean? Why only four times? So Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspa, one of the Rishonim and the commentators of Chumash says, the Shalshalas represents somebody who's stuck. You know when your CD is scratched? You ever have a scratched CD? Okay, no, no. No, make the call. No, you know what? Let's just go to sleep. Let me just go watch another video of Rabbi Wawa instead of calling my client. That's what happens in the office. Oh yeah, yeah. Answer. Send them my love. Shalshelis is a person who's stuck. Look even what the Shalshelis looks like. What does it look like? A zigzag, MS. You go this way, you're going to reach out, you're going to get that client. It's a good deal. And then you go uh, this way. And then you go back this way. Uh, 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 uh. And in the meantime, you wait seven years. And you wait other the Hunzel Pagan, other the Paritzel Pagan, the Zulos Pagan. Now, sometimes you're going to get lucky. Sometimes you'll get lucky. Sometimes not. Those are the four times in Chumash you have the Shalshalas. You know which word is the first Shalshalas? Vayeda, you remember? Vayismamo. You know what Vayismamo means? He procrastinated. And gekratzt. Gekratzt und gekratzt und gekratzt ab Vayismamo. Why? Why was Lloyd procrastinating? You know why? He was stuck. You know why he was stuck? I don't blame him. I'll explain to you his psychological condition and you'll see what he went through and you'll see how this applies to everyone in their own life. Lloyd invested his whole future in Zdoim. He ran away from Avram and he went, what was Zdoim? Zdoim was a gated suburban American community. Great school system, high taxes. Beautiful streets, clean, shali, shali, shalach, shalach. Everyone had a life insurance policy in Zdoim. Everybody took care of themselves. Beautiful lawns on Sunday afternoon, everybody mowed the lawns. It was a nice place to live. Not only that, Lloyd became a Supreme Court Justice. The Lloyd Yoishev, Minu Shoifet, he made it to the top. Not only that, his two daughters intermarried. Success! He grew up with Avram, with the strange Jew, and he made it in the culture of Zdoim. Two daughters married high class, high class Zdoimites, and he was elevated to the Supreme Court position. Amchaya, is this better? Can this be any better? He left Avram, and he is a success story of assimilation. Suddenly, his whole world collapses. Altskracht. His whole world that he invested in crumbles. So what happened to Jews in Berlin, in Germany, in Vienna in the 1930s? It happened to Jews in Spain in the 14th century. It happens in our history. Suddenly, his own sons in law they look at him and come to Meshuginah. When he asks the people of Zdoim, don't harm my guests, what do they say? You're a dirty Jew. 
You're a gay, you're a foreigner, you're an alien, you're gonna tell us what to do. You're never gonna be a wasp. You will always be the Jew with the nose. You will always be the alien. Suddenly, the whole world that he invested in is crumbling in front of him. He can't decide where to go. There's a shalshelis. You know where the next shalshelis is? No, that's the third. You're skipping. Vayoymar by Eliezer. He's asking Hashem for a girl for Yitzchak. He was stuck. You know why? What did he want? He had a maidala. He told Avram, find a maidala. By Sruchel Valedictorian. What are you going to schlep the Choron? By Sruchel, by Sora, by Schana, by Snifka, by Siakka, whatever. I don't mean to discriminate. But a Valedictorian. What are you going to strange? The Choron was gay to Hak the Plaza. Vayoimar. He daven, but he was stuck. He didn't want it to happen. Sometimes you pray, but you don't really want it. Sometimes you ask for things, but be careful, it might happen. You know, you ask your shvigat to come for Shabbos. She might say, yes, be careful. Why don't we spend Pesach together? They might take you up on your offer. You want to go out for dinner? They might say, yes, remember. And then you're like, oh, you give out. Oh, the doctor said it's an emergency appointment. Stop. What's the third salshalas? Yosef said no, but was it simple? Soite daflamedvav, Ravu Shmuel, Chadomar, Lasus Shrocha, Vayovay Abaisa, Lasus Malachtoi. It was difficult. He was 17 years old. She threatened to kill him. He had nobody. Suddenly, he saw the image of his father. He read, it wasn't simple. There was a lot of sacrifice. The fourth is a little more complicated. The last time ever Moshe would do the Avaid in the Mishkan. Right now he has to give it over to Aaron, his brother. It wasn't so simple. What does this mean in life? What this means in life is we all have our shalshelis moment. You have it in your marriage. You have it in your family life. You have it in your career. You have it in your vocation. You have it in your own psychological, emotional, and Jewish life. It's called the shalshelis moment. There's a force pulling you here. There's a force pulling you there. And what do we do? We say, let's wait. Let's wait. Some of us wait seven years till the dog dies. Some of us wait 17 years. And some of us wait. There are three types of people. There are those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who want to know what happened. There are three types of Jews. Shlomil, Shlomazels, and Nudniks. The Shlomil pours the soup on the Shlomazel. And the Shlomazdenutnik wants to know what type of soup was it? <laughs> and then there's the guy who pours the soup on himself and wants to know what type of soup was it? That's all three b'chadamachta. 
We have our shalshalas moment. We're torn between contradictions, between different forces. We have fear on one side and conviction on another side. We have vision on one side and we have insecurity on another side. We have powerful chaloimus and dreams for our future, our family's future on one side, but we have all this inner stuff that we never got over with on the other side. So you sit at your desk and you eat another cheese danish. And then an hour later, a beef and salami sandwich. And then it's already time for tayamel. Soon going to be Thursday, it's already time. And then Baruch Hashem Shabbos, you go to the liver and the eggs. The tzibalach and the leather. And the bottom line is, Vayis Mamma. We remain right in the middle of that shalshalas for years and years and years. Loit, I said Yoyo, Loit was lucky. He had a malach, Vayoitsu. He had two angels, they slept him and they said, Out! But his wife wasn't so lucky. You know what she did? She looked back. She couldn't get out. We look back. Even after we make the decision, we look back. And what happens? We become salty. We become bitter. Many of us have had experiences in life that were bitter. You have to learn how not to look back. You look forward. Napoleon, in the middle of one of his wars, he was a mighty and sometimes insane warrior. His ego knew no bounds. And once in the middle of one of the Napoleonic wars, Napoleon was, he told his generals, move back, retreat. And they came over to Napoleon, they said, you're retreating, General Napoleon? He said, I'm not retreating, I'm advancing in the opposite direction. <laughs> you have to identify your shalshalas moment and have the courage to transcend it. I once heard from somebody, a man, a wise man, a holy African-American brother, who was a disciplined man. And I heard from him, he said, my father taught me, he said, I don't mind, he said, son, if you shoot high and you miss, I don't mind. I mind if you shoot low and you don't miss. That's what I mind. You shoot high and you miss, you aim high and you miss, good. My problem is, you're gonna be frightened to take a leap. You're gonna be frightened to take a jump. You always can't miss. You'll always call the same type of nudnik. Let's face it, in your field, rejection is the name of the game. Especially Jews who don't have patience, right? And already when they hear your voice, they get into a bad mood. Just your voice. Some of them hang up, and some of them tell you a line that may trigger all of your insecurities from when you were six years old and your teacher told you you were stupid. And now you're 46 years old and this guy tells you you're stupid, and suddenly you're back in Cheder. And when you came home, your father heard what the teacher said about you, so he gave you some extra dosage of love. Just to make up for what you didn't get in school. And now you're on the phone, you have a big mishpacha, you're this big guy, yeah, yeah, you even have an office with a window they gave you. 
already rose up on the ranks. Yamamish from the fine schmeckers. Yisumim a beat tzaddik inside oilam amadayom and patash achayzek mafteyoyim kol nidrei neilip sechis aaron on a read by the dinner out. And this guy gives you avayatzmach perkane on the telephone, and you're a six-year-old baby. You don't know what to do with yourself. And then right after that, your wife gives you a call and tells you what she thinks about you. <laughs> so what do you do? Either you go to the pantry and you eat, or you go to the pantry and you drink. There's nothing else to do. Either you numb your pain through food, or you numb your pain through dreams. And Baruch Hashem in the Jewish religion, we have both of them non-stop. A rabbi told me that the sheriff of the community, he lives in a small community, he wanted him to understand Jewish culture, so he invited him over for Shabbos. So he comes Friday night, the rabbi says, no, we're going to make Kiddush. After Kiddush, after the fish, after the soup, after the kitchen, after the chicken, after the chalup, the kampot, Friday afternoon, I mean Shabbos afternoon, after Musaf, after the Cholom, before the Cholom, the middle of the Cholom, and then Havdalah, the whole Havdalah is one big Lechayim. Metzoy Shabbos, the sheriff, who was a real, real skinner, comes over to the rabbi and he says, you know, it was a wonderful, wonderful Sabbath with you. And now at last I understand why Orthodox Jews don't drive on the Sabbath. <laughs> I still don't understand why you can't put on the light on the Sabbath. That I don't understand. But the driving was very wise of the rabbis. Very wise. The rabbis who said no driving on the Sabbath keeps you all out of jail. It's a wonderful thing. For me to win in the game of life, I have to be able to confront my shalshalas. Whatever your shalshalas is. By light, it was philosophical. He couldn't decide if he's a Jew, if he's a nephew of Avram Avinu, or he belongs to Zdoim. Which one? By Eliezer, it was his personal, personal ambition. He wanted Yitzchak as a son-in-law. Was it a bad idea? Also for Naden. For Yosef, it was very emotional. And for Moshe was giving up one of the greatest privileges. And all of us have it in our own way, in our own little world. And I have to be able to be my own angel. To schlep me out and say, go and don't look back. Because if you look back, you're going to get salty. You're going to be a bitter mensch. You know bitter mention? And you're not in a field of work where you can afford to be bitter. I will tell you about the life insurance agent who came to me to try to sell me life insurance. Okay? Huh? Without names, I was once telling a story, so somebody says, without names, who was it? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick away from the names. He came to me, I really didn't have patience. I'm from Chaim Yankel's group. So he went to my wife. He went to my wife to try to sell life insurance to my wife. My wife is an Adela lady. She's a Tzadikis too. She's married to me and she stays married. She's a short Tzadikis. But besides being a Tzadikis, she's also Adel. She's a refined person. So he goes over to her and he says, 
I have an unbelievable offer for you. I want to explain to you how you present it. This is tremendous lesson. His charisma, his charm, most importantly, his sensitivity. He tells his wife, one day, he tells my wife, one day your husband is going to drop dead. And you're going to sit shiva and you'll be crying. And everybody will come and tell you, Rabbi, why, why, Rabbi, why, why, Rabbi, he did this, he did this, changed my life. I listened to him all day. I was supposed to sell life insurance, but I didn't. I listened to him. I watched this, WhatsApp this, WhatsApp this. I liked, I didn't like, I was inspired, I was almost inspired. I love him, I hate him. I'm upset at him, out! And you're crying and crying. He says, and then I'm gonna come into the shiva house. And I'm gonna be the first one to put a smile on your face. I'm gonna tell you there's three million dollars waiting for you. This is what I call tact. This is tact. They say a mice, a guy never died. His name was Larry. He was an addicted poker player. You know poker? It's one of the other things besides eating and drinking that we do to deal with the shalshelas. Eh, poker, he's a gambler. He would go gamble. Shine. He once died in Las Vegas and he had two older friends. They have to tell the almana. So they say, listen, Joe, tell it to her, but do it with tact, with sensitivity. So Joe knocks on the door and says, how is Larry? She says, I don't know, the guy that nudge up went gambling again in Las Vegas. He says, yeah, 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 I know, and I wanted to tell you that he was in Las Vegas and he lost this time $45,000. She says, tell him to drop dead. He said, he did that already, now what? <laughs> it's called tact. There was a guy, there was a guy talking about dogs. He loved this cat. I know this is not an island probably that's into cats, right? He loved cats. Somebody asked me why Hasidic Jews don't love dogs. In Park Slope, Manhattan, everybody has a dog. Matoyev, two dogs. Mahadim and Amahadim, three dogs. Mahadim and Amahadim, Moisev, Ahoylech, every day, another one. Why is it she doesn't see if his dogs? I said, very simple, when you got 15 kids in the family, there's enough action in the house, there's no need for the dog. It's fine. So, this guy loved his cat and he loved his mother, and he lived with his, an old buck, he loved his mother, he loved his cat, and he lived with them. One day his brother says, listen, Stephen, you gotta go on vacation. 20 years you're with this cat and mommy, you need time to breathe. He says, I can't leave mom, I can't leave the cat. He says, I'm gonna move into the house, I'll take care of both of them. He says, good. He books a ticket to the Bahamas for three weeks. First time in 20 years, he's leaving his cat and he's leaving his mother. His brother moves in, everything is beautiful. He lands in the Bahamas, books himself a room in a hotel in a suite, relaxes. Imagine 20 years he didn't have vacation. As he's unpacking, the phone in the hotel room rings. He picks up the phone. It's his brother. His brother says, you know your cat? Yizgadal, Yizgadash. The cat is dead. He says, well, what happened? He says, you left to the airport. You left. The cat ran out, ran into the street. A truck came, ran over the truck, ran over the cat. I called him. The poor man is devastated. He's weeping and weeping. This is Mamish, his beloved, his beloved pet. After 20 minutes, he tells his brother, you know, you have to learn tact. You don't call me and say, your cat is kadal, is kadash. You know how much I love that cat. He said, how should have I told you? 
He says, you should have told me that your cat went up to the roof. Tomorrow you call me and you say the cat is not coming off the roof. The next day you call me and you say the cat is still on the roof. The next day you call me and you say the cat is at the edge of the roof. The next day you tell me the police can't get the cat off the roof. And the next day you tell me the cat fell off the roof. So for five days I can prepare emotionally for the death of my cat. You don't call up and say, your cat is dead, it's disgusting, you're insensitive, you're tactless. He says, okay, I'm so sorry, I learned my lesson. He says, now tell me, how is mom? He says, mom is on the roof. <laughs> so yes, when I speak about, <laughs> I just got that, it's pretty funny. When I speak about, when I speak about transcending your shalshalas moment, it means you sometimes need courage. But courage doesn't mean to become tactless. I want to talk about another aspect in winning the game of life. And I want to discuss three or four points. I'm going to try to be brief and sharp and concise if my, uh, if my angel allows me to. I want to talk about making mistakes. Failure. Those days when you look at the mistakes you made. I'm going to ask a simple question today. And that is, everybody knows, Torah says, Vavram Zokin Ba Bayomim. Says the Zoyar, he came with all of his days. Not one day was missing. Ask the Mepharshim, Ben Shalashanam Hikiris Bayre. The Rambam says, Ben Mem Shan Hikiris Bayre. For 40 years he worshipped idols. How do you say he wasn't missing even one day? Doesn't make sense. Even three years. Not Kufayim Hay. Years were missing. How does the Zoya say, He came with all of his days. And the answer, my dear friends, is simple and profound. The search for truth, even when we still did not discover it, is part of living a wholesome life. You don't begin to live a wholesome life when you find truth. You begin to live a wholesome life when you're searching for truth, even if it may take you years to discover it. Avram Avinu was steeped 40 years in idolatry because he was looking for truth. He asked his father, he asked his mother, he asked his grandfather, he experimented, he went here, he went there, he went there. Of course he made mistakes. He went down this road, it was false. This road was false. This highway was false. This journey was false. But that's the only way you could make your way through a maze until you find your real destination. These mistakes are not real mistakes when you understand that that is the only way a person can discover any level of truth. I once read, I can't verify the authenticity of the story, but I like the message. An IBM senior manager made a horrible business mistake and he cost the company $10 million. He came in in the morning and he gave in his resignation papers and he said, listen, this was a horrible mistake. I resign, no severance pay, you don't owe me anything. If you don't sue me, I'll be thankful. The CEO tells him, where are you going? He says, I'm leaving the company. He says, why are you leaving the company? He says, what I did to you. Instead of you firing me with all the strings attached, the right thing for me is to resign. He says, you're not leaving this company. I just invested $10 million in your education. You go nowhere. 
Not only did he keep it, the loyalty that this manager displayed in the future years was unprecedented. You can't buy such loyalty. But what he was teaching him is, a mistake is only a mistake if you don't learn from it. If you learn from a mistake, not a mistake. It's education. What does the Gemara say in Yumadaf Pevav Rishlakish says, when a person does true out of love, Sins become like mitzvahs. How can a become a mitzvah? The Marshal says, doesn't make sense. The answer is, it's very, very deep. The Kakoyan says, it's a very deep answer. Every mitzvah has a heksha mitzvah. What's the heksha mitzvah for Shoifer? I got to cut the horn from the ram. What's the heksha mitzvah for Lulav? I have to cut the Lulav. I have to cut the Esra. What's the Heksha Mitzvah for Tefillin? I have to fashion the hide of an animal into leather, into Tefillin boxes. What's the Heksha Mitzvah? <coughs> for Kiddush on Shabbos, I have to buy wine. I have to buy food. Now I ask you a question. What's the Heksha Mitzvah for Tshuva? What's the Heksha Mitzvah for Tshuva? To sin. To sin. Rabbi Sahet Avart. But a sin is not a heksha mitzvah. A sin is a merida. Not a heksha mitzvah. That's when I sin. But when I sin, and the sin brings me to do tshuva, and to fix, and to experience remorse, and to appreciate what I did wrong, now, retroactively, lemafreya, the sin is redefined from a sin into a heksha mitzvah. Friends, that's how you got to look at your life. That's how we have to look at mistakes. That's how you have to look at failure, at stumbling blocks, at all those times you did the wrong thing or the wrong thing was done to you. Some of us have made decisions 10 years ago, 5 years ago, yesterday, 20 years ago, and we still regret some of those decisions. If you want and you learn from it, you will turn them all into a Heksha Mitzvah. Into the person you are today. The success you can be today from those mistakes is unlike any other type of success. Why? Because the sin itself becomes a Mitzvah. Becomes transformational. I want to share something else about winning the game of life. On the same note, and that is, this morning I was at a minion, and I decided to think about two words. They were saying tachnon. By you, they probably didn't say tachnon today, right? Lucky you. Vayavir Hashem alpana vayikra, Hashem Hashem, Fregdi Gemara Shoshana, You'd Zion, I think, you'd chess. Why Hashem Hashem twice? One is before you sin, one is after you sin. Asks the Rosh, what do you need? Midas Harachamim Hashem before you sin? After you sin, I get it. Why before? So I saw a word from the Heilekes Zidichoyver. Zidichoyver, he says, why do you need 
Hashem rachamim before you sin? He said, you know why? Because then you're in a bigger danger. And the danger is that you think you're perfect. After you sin, you're good off. Because you know you're imperfect. Before, you sometimes think you're perfect. And that's very, very dangerous. In life, the most important quality in winning the game of life is the ability to be vulnerable, to embrace my humanity, to be able to tell my spouse, to be able to tell my friend, to be able to tell myself, to be able to tell God. In some ways, I'm so small. I'm so weak. I'm such a little baby. Ayi tells me, this little story, but it meant a lot. He went to with his wife to a chasana. They went to a chasana in Montreal. Okay, they came from New York to Montreal to chasana. They served the chicken. As he was starving, he didn't eat the whole way to Montreal. As he was about to eat, his wife calls him by the door. Come, come, come. She found a shatchen who can help them with a shidduch for their daughter. So they got into a conversation with the shatchen for half an hour. He came back to the meal. The chicken was gone. They had to already leave back to New York. They had to be there for their kids early in the morning. There would be no babysitter. And he tells me the maister in his car. He's furious at his wife. He's furious. He doesn't want. She says, "How are you?" You know when you're furious and you don't want to say, "What's going on? Is everything alright?" Yeah, perfect. What are you feeling? Nothing. How was the chasana? No. no. You know, men. Yeah, you go into your cave. You go into your cave. You just like texting because you don't want communication. We have a very different philosophy than women. By men, the philosophy is: if you had a hard day, you don't talk about it. It was hard enough to have it. You don't have to talk about it. You come home, you sink in on the couch, and you're quiet. By women, the philosophy is the opposite. If you had a hard day, you edged have to talk about it. But not once. The first time to your sister. Second time to your second sister. Third time to your third sister. Fourth time to your friend. Fifth time to your mother. Sixth time to the therapist. Seventh time, hopefully, to your husband. And each time you giggle and you cry. And after nine times of Chazar Sashir, maybe you get it out of your sister. He tells me the whole way back he's furious. And he doesn't know why. He's blaming his wife for this. Anything. She didn't do anything. And then he realized the chicken. The chicken! He never ate the chicken! And he said, he looked at his wife and he said, You know, I hate you now. You know why? Because the chicken. Because I'm starving. And I blame you for taking away that chicken because you called me to speak to that stupid shatchan with a shidduch that's not even going to work. And I lost my chicken. And he told me that was the moment his marriage became real. Before you sin, you're more dangerous than after you sin. You know why? Because you're a kodesh. You're a tzaddik. When the springs, then you think you're holy. And what do you do with all your unholy parts? They don't exist. You make believe they don't exist. And what they do exist, they just come out in weird ways. And by the way, in our community, this is a big issue. Everybody is perfect. Do you know that? 
Do you know that everyone besides you is perfect? You don't know that? You don't know that all the families make perfect shidduchim? You don't know that? Where are you living? This is one of our, we are perfect people. We don't make mistakes. We're not human. We're not vulnerable. And when I give a shia, I give a drush, and I speak about a problem, I get blamed because I made the problem. You know what? Because I spoke about it. We don't talk. Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Kids abused? Not by us. <laughs> not in our yeshivas. Shaduchim, people forced into shaduchim? Not by us. Our families and kahilas are impeccable. This creates crazy people. Creates dishonest people. Creates neurotics. There are three types of Jews. Neurotics, psychotics, and psychiatrists. And life insurance agents. And you know the difference? The neurotic builds castles in the air. The psychotic lives in the castles that the neurotic builds in the air. And the psychiatrist collects the rent from both of them. And the life insurance agent sells them all life insurance. For when those castles crumble with them inside. A Judaism that is based on people who don't make mistakes is not a Yiddishkeit, it's not real. You're in a bigger danger than... So the Shreveh says, and the Kamarna. So the Kamarna says the same thing. A bigger danger, the danger of perfection. We like people who are real, human, authentic, vulnerable, raw, often. That's how you win the game of life. That's how you deal, that's how we deal with real life. I want to tell you now something else. Winning the game of life, you have to invest in your marriage. Many of us are not good at that. But that's where you have to invest. You need to, we need to work on our marriages. You know why? If you have a real marriage, life ultimately becomes a far more joyous experience day in, day out. And I want to tell you all my, one of my top ten. You know, I have a lot of stories, but this is one of my top ten. The truth is, whatever story I'm telling is my top ten. But this is Taka, one of my top ten. Listen to this. This is a good one. Shmedel, I'm not Shmedel, Moishula was a poor man. Of course he was a poor man. But he loved one holiday. You know which holiday? Sukkot. He used to put away money for six months to buy a beautiful Esther. He loved, he loved the Yom One year there was a cold winter. No Esther available because frost kills Esther trees. And the one Esther that was available that came to the city... The man was charging 5,000 rubles. It would be today like paying for Esther $30,000. Crazy amount of money. He didn't have. No, no Esther for Sukkot. What can he do? Every Sukkot in the morning, he finishes davening. He takes off his talus and tefillin. And he thinks to himself, without a Sukkot, without a Esther without for Sukkot, it can't be. But where do I get 30,000? Where do I get, uh, get 5,000 rubles? Then he thinks to himself, when is the next time I need tefillin? 10 days. Today's Arab Sukkot, I have nine days of Sukkot and Chesterion. Then I need Sukkot, ten days. I'm going to sell my tefillin, he had beautiful tefillin. I'll buy an Esra. Sells his tefillin, 5,000 rubles. 
goes to the next city, buys Ah Bachaya Azar Esig seven forty seven. Ah Jumbo a beautiful, beautiful, impeccable, flawless Agishmak of an Esther. He comes home, he runs into his house, he wants to tell his wife. She's not home. He puts it on the counter, he goes to finish building the sukkah, comes back in, his wife is in the kitchen, he says, Hinda, I bought an esrig, unbelievable. She says, really, how'd you get the money? He said, I sold my tefillin, and I bought an esrig. She says, you sold your tefillin? You got some sugar. <laughs> your tefillin you need for the rest of your life. Esrig you need for seven days. How are you going to have tefillin now? He says, Hinda, I'll tell you the truth. I finished putting on tefillin today, and then I said, for 10 days, Hashem doesn't want my, doesn't need my tefillin. What's the mitzvah of the day? Esra, Dalad Minim. I want to do the mitzvah of the day. I sold my tefillin, I bought an Esra. After sukkahs, I'll worry about tefillin. But now the mitzvah is Esra. And it's beautiful. She says, let me see it. He said, I left it here on the counter. I left it right here on the counter. Where? He says, right here, where? It's not here. Did you see an Esra here? She says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was making a salad. I needed a lemon. I turned around, I saw a nice big lemon. I took it and I squeezed the lemon into the salad, but it wasn't working. So I cut the esteric, which I thought was a lemon, and basically I squeezed it out as much as I can. I cut it into pieces. I took every piece of juice from the pulp that could come out, and then I threw the rest in the garbage. I'm so sorry, I didn't know it was the Esther. I didn't think you could afford an Esther. I was certain it was a lemon. Tired was quiet. His wife was quiet. Tears were streaming down her eyes in regret. He walks over to his wife. He gives her an embrace. And he says, I appreciate you, I like you, I love you. She says, you're crazy. You don't want to punch me in the nose. You don't want to punch me. You don't want to run out of this house. You don't want to bang on the counter. Ganev, Gazlan, terrorist. I don't understand. He looks at his wife and he says, My dear wife, yesterday the mitzvah of the moment was putting on tefillin. Today the mitzvah of the moment was buying an esrik. And now the mitzvah of the moment is to be here for my wife, to be kind to my wife. That's what I did. And when I heard that, I understood that's what it means, winning in the cycle of winning the game of life, and I'll tell you why. Most of us become attached to a certain image of what Avoidas Hashem looks like, what Yiddishkeit looks like, a nice Esri. Your wife destroyed your asterisk by mistake. But she did it, as usual. <laughs> Even if you're an Eilichayid, you're upset. You tell her what you think. You run out of the house. You go to the Schwitz. You go drink. You get drunk for nine days. Whatever you do. You go to therapy for 20 years. But you're upset. But Moshele understood that's not what Yiddishkeit is. The Tolus Yaakov Yosef quotes the Balshamtiv. The Gemara says in Tainis Dav Chav La Oilam Yayadam Rach Kekonavaye Koshe Keeres. 
You should always be as soft as a reed and not harsh as a cedar. So the Baal Shem Tev said it means an avoidus Hashem. Don't think that Yiddishkeit has to look a certain way. That's kosher keres. Now the mitzvah was tefillin. Then the next moment the mitzvah is esrig. And now the mitzvah is to be here for my wife. That's what it means to live with Hashem every moment. I don't worship idols. I don't turn certain aspects of Yiddishkeit into a getchke and say, this is God. No, no. I serve Hashem every moment new with complete flexibility, with complete openness. What is the divine opportunity right now? The fact that his wife destroyed the Esrit, that was also godly. That was also Bahashgacha. That was also Elokos. I know it Mulvado is even when she turns your estrogen into a lemon in the salad. Your 5,000 ruble estrogen is now lemon in a salad. Expensive salad. That's also godly. That's also I know it Mulvado. What's my opportunity right now? What's the calling right now? To be here for my wife. I'm flexible. I'm open. I'm not trapped in a certain version of Yiddishkeit. You know what this Jew was left with, Moshe? He had no tefillin. He had no esrig. But he had God. He had Hashem. And he also had a marriage. He also had a marriage. He could have lost his esrig, lost his lulav, lost his tefillin, lost his God, and lost his wife too. But he had Hashem. So here I finally come to our own winning, our own game of life, especially when it comes to Yiddishkeit. CSB, one of its first beneficiaries was my good friend, Rabbi Ram David Weiss in Monsi, whom I went to visit Hoshayner Rabbah. His wife called me and she asked me, she said, Rabbi Jacobson, I asked my husband what would be a Simchas Beis HaShayeva treat for him. So since Rabbi Avram Dovid spends with me three hours every day, because due to the technology that you guys sponsored, the CSB, he could listen to Shiurim, watch Shiurim. So I have this chus, without even knowing it, to be his chavrusa almost three hours every day. And when I came into the house, I see this Japanese guy looking at me as though I was Elio Hanavi and Mashiach ben David together, or Nebuchadnezzar, whoever it was. And I ask him, why are you staring at me? He says, oh, you're actually a real guy because I watch you three hours a day. You say interesting stuff, interesting stuff you say. He likes you, he likes you. So he told his wife with his eyes, he motioned to his wife that a silver retreat would be if I come. So the other days I was away, but I was out of town, but Shana Rabbi I was there. So they arranged a whole band with Mizamrim, with Menagrim, with Mesamchim, with Tanses, with instruments, a beautiful. We had a Shana Rabbi in the afternoon, a Gewaldeke Simchas Beis Hashavim, a Getanst, a Fabracht, a Geret, a Geshmuz. And Rabbi David was sitting there. And you know, in ALS, no muscles, there's no muscle function besides the eye, which is itself unique. Because to move the eye, you need to move 17 muscles. 17 muscles have to function for eye movement. We take all this for granted. 
And the fact that he could move his eye and therefore turn on a shear, turn off a shear, go to a Blat Gemara, go to a Pasuk Chumash, go to Pedic Mishnais, say play, stop, rewind, forward. 17 muscles that have not been taken away. I'm sitting there, but everything else, there's no muscle movement. So the whole body, it's like a neshama. It's a neshama that's not affected by gashmias. Because most of the body literally just sits there as a keli, as a house. I touched his hand, but when you touch the hand, you don't feel vitality. The hand just remains in one place. And then I have to share something I saw. And I share it. It's not easy to share. But my eyes were fixed on it for a few minutes. And I was thinking about it since then. As I was sitting there and talking to him, and we were singing and dancing, and I said some shmuz and the retire, the rechsidus, I shined up in the afternoon during the time of the Suda. His son, a young boy, 10 or 11 years old, sat down near his father. He sat down near his father, and he put his hand on his father's hand. His father's hand was on the wheelchair, just naturally, it just slides down there. And he put his hand on his father's hand. And he kept his hand on his father's hand. And I was looking and watching this. And I thought to myself, when I touched his hand, I thought to myself, wow, how tragic. It's lifeless, the hand. For his son, he was holding on to his father. His father can't speak to him. His father can't kiss him. His father can't hug him. His father can't share with him. His father can't learn with him. His father can't teach him. What he can do is put his hand on his father's hand. And for him, he was touching his father. And he wouldn't let go. Another person would look at the hand and say, Sick man's hand, lifeless. This child, he had his father. A difference of perspective. And then I thought to myself, You have two Jews. One Jew puts on tefillin, puts on his talas, says Kriya Shema, Davin's Mincha, Davin's Maidiv, kisses a mezuzah, makes a bracha, says Amen Yeish Meirabba, makes Kiddush on Shabbos, learns a Perik Mishnayis, learns a Pasuk Chumash, learns a Blad Gemara, and it's lifeless, mamish lifeless. Why do you do it? You do it because your mother told you to brush your teeth in the morning, and your father told you to go to Shul in the morning. So you do it. What are you going to do? Move to Kentucky? If you're Chabad, you can do that. But uh, where are you going to move? To Montana? You'll go visit Montana. You'll visit Montana, Kabayachal, for whatever reason. And another person does the same thing, and his father, it's his father. He's connecting to the ultimate truth. He's connecting to infinity. He's connecting to his soul. He's connecting to Hashem. It's all about what's happening right now in this moment. Judaism doesn't look like anything. It has no image. You know what it looks like? It looks like whatever is happening right now at this moment. That's where truth is. That's where God is. That's where Avodah Hashem is. Stop drawing pictures of what it has to look like. It doesn't have to look like anything. It has to look like what it looks like. And if you can tune into that, 
and embrace your humanity and embrace the opportunity of what Hashem gives you this moment, that's it. And I'm going to conclude with a story. Two brothers, you know the two brothers. The Rebbe Rebzish and the Rebbe Reb Melech were traveling as they used to do. And somebody informed upon them. And they were thrown into a prison cell with a bunch of Gentiles. And it was a horrible situation. And all there was in the corner was a bucket, a pail for human needs. In the morning, Reb Melech is crying. The Gusha says, Why are you crying? He says, the first time in my life I won't be able to daven because you're not going to daven with such a bad smell in the room and you know what that bucket was filled with. So the Bzusha says, so why are you crying? So you won't daven. He says, I need a daven in order to connect to Hashem. The first day in my life I won't be able to connect to Hashem. Without davening, I feel broken, fragmented, detached, separated, disoriented, alienated from my core, alienated from truth, alienated from Hashem. Reb says, who said you can't connect to Hashem today? The same God who wants you to daven tells us in Shulchan Aruch, if it's a horrible smell, you're not allowed to daven. The reason you're not davening is to be Mekayim Ratzon Hashem, who said you shouldn't daven. By fulfilling the will of Hashem not to daven, you connect to Hashem. Usually you connect to Hashem through davening. Today you connect to Hashem through fulfilling His will and not davening. Tosa halacha. Tosa, as they would say in the Yeshiva Shavad, it's also a chalois. It's a chalois for nish davening. So ich adin, adin nish davening. Vosushlach. Reb Melech says, Givaldik. Instead of crying, he starts singing. It's too chesidim, they start dancing. Within five minutes, it was put him in Simchas Torah in the cell, and all the goyim joined them. They were dancing, Kazatskas Amachaya. The prison warden runs in, and he sees 40 people, and dance, Meshprink, Mephazos, Amachaka, calls over one of the goyim, he says, why are you guys dancing? He points to the Jews, and he says, they're guilty, they instigated it all. Of course, as always. He says, but why? Why are they so happy in this place? It's a dungeon. And the man points to the pail in the corner of the room. Prison warden says, how does that bucket make anybody happy? That bucket is filled with human excrement, with soya. How does it make people happy? He says, I don't know, but they told us that as a result of that pail in the corner of the room, they developed a new type of relationship with God. There was the pre-bucket relationship, and there's the post-bucket relationship. The pre-bucket relationship was a limited relationship, but the relationship that they created as a result of the bucket is a whole new, deeper type of romantic, loving relationship with the master of the world. He says, really? I will teach these Jews a lesson. What does he do? <laughs> Picks up the bucket and he shoves it out of the room. Reb Zusha tells him, Melech, Bruder, jetzt kannst du ane davenen. Now you can start davening. But the message is very profound. Yiddishkeit doesn't look like anything. It doesn't have to look like anything. Sometimes Hashem wants me to daven. And sometimes Avodah Hashem looks like not davening. Sometimes the mitzvah of the moment is tefillin. And sometimes the mitzvah of the moment is esrik. And sometimes the mitzvah of the moment is loving my wife. Thank you very much. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes.
make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.